Court of Notions is brought to you by Face to Face Games, where you can now pre-order Dragon's Maze singles, boxes, fat packs, and more. Check out facetofacegames.com for low prices on all your Dragon's Maze pre-order needs. So, it was pretty, pretty wild. Sure. How often do you see Kasen? You know, like once a month, twice a month, uh, once once a month, well, or once I, every other I month when they come over so to play. You, you, you wouldn't say that you get to see Carson daily? Welcome to episode 75 of Horde of Notions. I'm your host, Chris. With me tonight, we have the full host. Everybody's here. First of all, it's Adina. Hello, everybody. And we've got Will. Thought you'd gone rid me, eh? Uh, we tried. And finally, it's Travis. Hello. Travis is hereby legally bound to never make another chicken noise. <laughs> this week, we're going to talk uh, briefly about things we've been doing. And then we're going to get into a topic that uh, I think a lot of people have been interested in hearing, and that is how to get ready for your first big event, whether it be a PTQ, Star City, Games Open, or a GP. You know, the first time you actually go to an event that isn't at your local store, and how you should prepare for that, things you need to do, things you need to know. should be something that uh, will be useful to a lot of our, our listeners. So let's start with you, Adina. What have you been up to? Well, last night the boys came over and we played several games of EDH. Usually we just play one long, massive game, but we just kept going and kept going and kept going until it was about 4 o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, had a blast. Um, I, of course, was playing my my um, Gave deck, which is a doubling season deck. It doesn't do any of the crazy, ridiculous, win-right-this-minute combos that apparently are possible with that general. Um, it's more of a, I like to play with tokens and counters and things like that. So basically my deck, I just need to kind of overrun everybody and like go really fast and play a bunch of little creatures and kill you first because once everybody stabilizes the board, then I'm in trouble. And I do have some bigger spells and some board wipe and stuff like that for defense later. Uh, but Chris, uh, let's see. So, uh, it was Cooper and Carson that came over and Cooper was playing an Omnath deck. And uh, <laughs> and Carson had a well. Well, first actually, he played his experimental Kraj deck in the first game, and then he decided to play the Omnath deck. And Carson has like six different EDH decks too, so he played um, an Olivia deck, and then he also played a Kami of the Moon deck. So right, I played like right, all, we I, played all these different decks. So it I was have pretty, a question. Pretty wild, sure. How often do you see Carson? Whenever they, you know, like once a month, twice a month, uh, once once a month, well, or once I, every other I month when they come over so to play. You, you, you wouldn't say that you get to see Carson daily? I definitely do not see Carson daily, no. Chris, go to your room. <laughs> <laughs> that may have been the worst joke I've ever heard. My soul hurts. <laughs> you are the devil. 
So yeah, and I, yeah, and I can't even like call them by the first letter of their first name because they both start with C. So it's really, you know, I have to like write everybody's name out when I'm, you know, tracking the life and everything. Uh, so turn two, I had played a, uh, um, suture priest. So that was a lot of fun. Every time everybody had played a creature, we were adjusting life totals. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and of course I was playing a bunch of tokens and then of course there's this Omnath that's like a 25-25 and then he had a Seedborn Muse. So every turn he would just tap all of his mana and put it in his mana pool and then untap. So he just kept getting like tons and tons of mana and his Omnath was huge, but he didn't have anything to give it trample. And I had a, um, uh, I had the, the indestructible ooze in play, so I didn't have to worry about that. I could just block it all day. It's just that I couldn't attack. And uh, and then Carson had uh, the 13 uh, zombies because he played um, Army of the Damned. So he had 13 zombies, and Carson had Cooper had a bunch of huge things in an Omnath. And I had indestructible, and I had a champion of Lambhole that had about... 10 counters on it, 11 counters. So I could have attacked Carson, but if I had done that, then Cooper was just going to turn around and slam right into me because, you know, there was nothing I could do to block. So on the turn right before Cooper would have won, Carson top decks a Soren, plays Soren, sets Cooper's life to 10, and then swings in with all of his zombies, leaving, you know, uh, doing exactly 10 damage because Cooper could only block eight of the zombies, and so the other five each did two damage, and so he he was out. Um, but then he also had the, uh, who's the flying demon that whenever you, whenever one of your creatures dies, everybody else has to sacrifice the creature, the grave pack guy? Butcher of Malachir. Yes, so he had a Butcher of Malachir on the board. So, unfortunately, I had like ten creatures, but I had to sacrifice... No, I only had six creatures, so I had to sacrifice all of them, and I didn't have any mana. I had my general out, and I didn't have the mana to, you know, make all the little one-ones and just kill those off. So, unfortunately, there was nothing that I could do to be able to swing back at him next turn. I did have a Garouk on the board, and my Garouk was ready to ultimate, so I ultimated Garouk, and I had nine six-sixes, but I was at four life at that point, and so he used Soren's ability to do two life, and then he you know, had another spell that, you know, target player loses three life. So that was the end of that, unfortunately, thanks to a top deck Soren. He just obliterated us all because he was just like dirtling, dirtling. Nobody could attack. Nothing was going on. Everybody was just like passing the turn. And then all of a sudden he was like, yes, played the Soren and boom, everybody's dead. Cool story, sis. I thought okay. I just always wanted to say that. <laughs> okay, yeah, you didn't really think it was a cool story. Oh, well, fine. I, no, no, no. Cool. Long, long EDH games are fun, especially when they end on epic plays, like oh, yeah. casting, <laughs> casting molten psyche and radiating it. That's pretty fun. What was really hilarious was when, you know, when he had Olivia and he turned like six different creatures into vampires. So he was about to take, well, no, he took the Omnath, he took the Seedborn Muse, and I. Um, he was going to take my, my Predator Ooze, and then I wiped the board with a Day of Judgment, so I got all my creatures back. Oh, and there was a, uh, I don't remember the name of the creature, but it's the one when it enters play, returns something from your graveyard to your hand, and when it leaves play, returns something from your graveyard to your hand, and it has Vanishing 3. Well, I had a Mimic Vat out, so I stole that and put it under my Mimic Vat, so I could bring everything back from the graveyard. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it would have been really cool if Cooper hadn't blown up the mimic vat. That darn Cooper. I know, yeah. I mean, I did get a couple of creatures back, and I got to replay them, but, yeah. Not not as much as I would have liked. Not enough to save me from where I was. And I didn't have any flyers, which was weird, and that was why I wound up at four life, because I kept getting attacked by flyers. We had an eight-player EDH game, and I can't remember how it ended. Oh, yeah, the store closed. Ah, did anybody have any... Anybody have anything with extort? What? In play? Yeah. Yeah, the white weenie guy played Blind Obedience. Nice. Yeah, I just put that in my deck, actually. I'm going to see how that works because it just it seems good. You know, all your opponents lose a life and you gain that much life. So, yeah. Scales sure. are the size of the game. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So is uh, Mana Echoes, actually, in an eight-player game. I don't think I've ever played more than a two-player game of EDH, unfortunately. Oh, two-player games of the devil. They, can, like they can be. Let's move along to the polar bear-loving, pie-eating, eyebrow-raising William. Mr. Blondin, sir, what have you been up to? I played a, I played a format that isn't modern. I call shenanigans. I know, right? Like, I, I, I had no idea what was going on. Uh, no, based on the... Wait, wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. So it was modern? No, it wasn't. It was standard. Based on the... Uh, okay, so next weekend, the... To put this into context, the 20, 20th and 21st is the WMCQ and PTQ for uh, Canada, uh, for Canada, which is in Toronto. And it happens to be standard format, so I figured, well, you know, I should maybe go out and play a little bit of Magic. Hey, you've been uh-huh. playing it on our stream. I I have, but like not like actual like in person Magic, right? Just to kind of get a feel of you know looking around the room, seeing what's going on. That and you're not actually playing legitimate decks. Plus, unlike online, in real life, I have vast quantities of cards. Except for everything that Joshua Lemish ends up lending to me again. <laughs> By the way, Josh, thank you very much. You will get those cards back at some point. <laughs> no, no, at the pre- I told him I'd give them back to him at the pre-release. Since I somehow convinced myself that playing in all six pre-releases at face-to-face games was a good idea, so I'm going to be doing that. Uh, and uh, obviously, like, going through the standard whatnot, I kind of built up a mini gauntlet. So, like, I built up John, I built up John, I built up uh, the blue-white-red flash. I built up, uh, there was another, oh, the aristocrats. And I was playing around with those, and then I wasn't really sure which one I wanted to play, and <laughs> came up with a good idea. I know, what? I know, Chris, I know. Uh, well, less a good. Jay it played was more, magic. It was it was more it was more <laughs> friend's idea. Who uh, on the last uh, so on the last episode of the eighteen that I listened to, he had suggested you know he was playing uh, Brad Nelson's Pedal to the Metal deck from uh, GP Atlantic City, and I thought, well, you know what, if it has a fun deck, right, and it's kind of like say out of nowhere, I figured I'd go play that. So I went to go and play that, and although I didn't change any of the cards in it, which is probably a bad idea. Because the mana base just absolutely hated on me. And I went 2-2. Two, two. So, losing to uh, Blitz and the Aristocrats. Uh-huh. At least you lost to some legitimate decks. So Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah, I'm surprised you lost to Blitz. Isn't that kind of a good matchup for Pedal? Uh, it is, but the problem was in Game 3, I multi-5. I kept 
uh, a two-land hand, and I never saw a third line. So it was just like, okay, well. That happens. It, it's it's like the learning curve for the format. It, it still took him like eight turns to beat me, though. I was like, how am I not dead? Like, what is going on here? He's like, um... <laughs> and he was just, like... He's playing stuff completely out of whack. Like, turn one, he went... Uh, uh, he went um, Experiment 1, and then turn 2, he went Experiment 1, Champion of the Parish. Uh-huh. I was like, I was like, oh, you just do Champion? He's like, no, I had it my starting hand. I was like... I don't oh. think you know how magic works. <laughs> like, oh, play it, and then 1, 2, he's like, if you had a removal spell, I was like... So, prefer just having a 1-1 one, one Champion? Like, even, even then, you should have played Champion and then Experiment 1. On your turn, but whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> the, the I had with the deck was the Cavernous Souls. They just like because the mana base is pre gate crash, right? And it's it was there were so many awkward hands that I had with Cavernous Souls in them that I would easily cut them. Like you could put, uh, I think I put one Watery Grave in. Probably put a stomping grounds in, maybe two breeding pools, and like I'd cut the three caverns and I'd cut uh, one of the uh, one of the steam vents. That way, your um, your fire seeks have access to uh, everything else. But I had I had a decent amount of fun, and I was looking around, seeing what was going on. There was uh, there was a lot, actually, a lot of aristocrats that was being played where I was. Uh, there was like one or two blitz decks. There was some Jun decks. I'm still not sold. And then uh, I was going to go and play. There was a uh, winner box that was uh, yesterday that I was going to play on because it gave me even more practice. But then my brother called me up and he's like, yo, you want to come over tonight and we'll play Cards Against Humanities with my buddies? And I was like, well, I'm going to go play that instead of Magic because that seems like a more enjoyable time. Seems reasonable. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Travis, I know you've been watching Pony Shows. Not pony shows, children's educational television. Okay, there's no such thing as children's educational television anymore. It's completely just dumbed-down nonsense. I agree. I mean, dolls dolls coming to life is somehow educational now? Not really. It, it's emotionally educational, yeah, we'll say it that way. It's all about the pony shows. I'm beginning to believe you're a brony, Chris. <laughs> I've never watched the show... Then re I used to watch it when I was like five. Is brony like the new slang term for jabroni? Yeah. Do you really want us to go into what a brony is on the cast? We are PG. I don't know what you, like you're talking about kid shows. How can this not be PG? <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Does, does Travis really? Right. Have, he has kids at home. Like on the stream, it's the same thing. It's like, dude, come on. We should keep Travis's kids around him at all times to keep make sure he behaves. This is true. So I have been playing Standard. I'm working on something for Modern, which I don't really want to talk about until I know it's not horrible. Okay, so you're never going to talk about it? <laughs> you're so funny! Um, but I think it's actually really playable and very strong. Uh, but the Standard deck I've been playing is Bug... Uh, Prime Speaker. Travis thinks it's just like his list, but Travis is full of excrement. Well, I may be, but that doesn't mean it's not just like my list. <laughs> so, 
it runs two Deadeye Navigator, for one thing. Uh, no one drops, but it starts off with uh, Farseek at two. Let me get the list up, because I shipped it to a couple of people who were asking for it. Uber can puzzled. How can you be playing a bug list with no Deathrite Shaman? Because uh, Deathrite Shaman actually doesn't do anything for this deck. You're right. You have it's so great in the sideboard. You you have spells that don't go to the graveyard and can be removed for two damage. No, uh, I only have. Obviously, obviously, Deathrite Shaman does nothing. <laughs> so, like, you have main deck rest in peace. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yes, in bug, I have main deck rest in peace. That's you the, idiot. I'm not be playing Deathrite Shaman, but go on. Go on. <laughs> You're a Muppet. Uh, it's based on the list that Sam Black had up on Daily MTG a little while ago. Okay. So, what? Nothing. Let's, let's, okay. hear, let's hear the list before I can tell you. So, for Farseek, uh, this will be in my article probably up on the same day as you're listening to this. For, for Farseek, four Gaius Age, two Abrupt Decay, one Victim of Night, one Lab Maniac, Four Vampire Nighthawk, one Simic Manipulator, three Master Biomancer, one Sever the Bloodline, two Disciple of Bolas, two Wolfhear Silverheart, two Garrick Primal Hunter, four Thrag Tusk, two Prime Speaker Zagana, two Deadeye Navigator, one Sylvan Primordial. Landwise, I had uh, an Alchemist Refuge, two Hinterland Harbor, four Watery Grave, four Breeding Pool, two Drunk Catacomb, four Woodland Cemetery, an Island of Swamp, and two Forest. I ran the basics because there are people playing Ghost Quarters locally. I'm betting that the Lab Maniac was something you added and not Sam Black. Correct. It was in there uh, blatantly looking for the achievement. Because this was FNM, and you know how I play achievements. Uh, the list will be in the show notes because I've just pasted it. Oh, it won't. Uh, will delete it. <laughs> it will also be in my article. No, it won't. <laughs> you don't edit anymore. But yeah, I really had a lot of fun playing this list. Uh, I got to pair Sylvan Primordial up with Deadeye Navigator a couple of times. Uh, it's amazing how few forests I have in the deck once that happens. I got to draw 12 cards with Prime Speaker because there was a Master Biomancer and a Sylvan Primordial in play. So she came into play with a whole bunch of counters on her. Uh, what else did I do with her? Apparently you did not play Blitz. I get the feeling that what Chris does at FNM is he pays a bunch of other people's FNM entries and then gives them a fun uh, a deck that he promises to be real fun. And then when they sit down, they discover that it's actually 75 lines. <laughs> that or he uh, calls a judge and says they stole his cards. I am the judge. Well, even easier. Let me tell, <laughs> let me see if I can remember what I played. Again. We're gonna, no, we're gonna, I'm sorry, I'm the head judge, so you're just gonna have to accept it, and there's no appeal. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to launch an investigation into this. You're not even a little bit funny. So round one, I played against Mono Red. Um, apparently, that deck is still a real thing. And you lost. Uh, it stomped a mud hole in me and walked me dry. Yeah, it won one of the uh, premier events over the weekend. It is very fast. Yes. Like blitz fast? Apparently just as fast. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And pairing a stone right with a Thundermore Hellkite is just disgusting. What? Uh, then oh, I, I, fast. I beat Jund uh, because I ramped into a turn five primordial and started picking off his lands. 
Uh, I lost to Junk Rights. Apparently, it's really hard to beat Junk Rights uh, when you multi-four and then only see two land. Oh, you know it would be really good against Junk Rights in your deck? Death Right Shaman? Oh my god. And, like, and it would have it given you mana, Chris. Like you know what? words right out of my mouth. He reanimated one thing all night, and it was a Thrag Tusk. Right, but instead of so gaining five it, life and getting a Thrag Tusk, you could have gained two life. Except I didn't have any green mana because I was stuck on a four-card, four two-land hand. Well, if you had two well, then you probably had black. <laughs> if you had two Deathrite Shamans in the play, then the first Deathrite Shaman could have gone rid of one of his lands in his graveyard, added a green, and then the second Deathrite Shaman could have exiled the Thrag Tusk. Sheesh. Yes, you're quite right. Of course, Will, the expert. Uh, I beat Will has read Chris Chapin's book. Who? Or Patrick Chapin's book. Round four, I beat Blitz. Because Vampire Nighthawk is a real card. What? Who's this Blitz player that lost to Vampire Nighthawk? Really? Vampire Nighthawk is very good against Blitz. If they don't draw the spear right away. What do you mean it's good it's against two, Blitz? Three. You put it it's a 2-3, and all their stuff's 2-2, two, two, so it'll just kill them. Not to mention it has Death Touch, but it'll live, and their creatures will die. Exactly. Yes, but then most of the time they, I mean, they have the Giant Growth, or they have the... Uh, He's not playing the Giant Growth. Every time I play Blitz against anything that has Vampire Nighthawk in it that Travis plays... He just he has the he has the spell to kill it. <laughs> well, not even even with like a mare, they be, all become three threes, or I just throw a champion in front of it. Well, I did to be fair, abrupt decay the mare on sight, so that did help. Still, Vampire Nighthawk isn't that big a deal. Uh, what about Vampire Nighthawk the turn after a Master Biomancer? Right, but that's turn four and then turn five, so... Well, it was turn three and then turn four, because of Farsi. Well, at that case, as, uh, as as Justin Richardson so eloquently put it when I was playing against uh, game two, when I was playing against Blitz, that I won, he passed by and he's like, what turn is this? And I was like, seven or eight. And he looks at my Blitz player and goes, wait, why haven't you conceded yet? <laughs> Yeah, but Justin Richardson is a troll, and uh, other words that I don't like saying on this show. As someone who plays Blitz, if you are not haven't won by, like, turn five, like, maybe I'll give you turn six if you're playing against a slow deck, you can essentially stockpile Lightning Mauler and something else. Like, you should just concede, because you're not getting there. And in round five, I was playing against uh, the Bant Wolfron deck. Turns out that deck has no removal, which makes Gaia Sage ridiculously good. Yes. And it also means that Simic Manipulator is eventually going to steal his Thrag Tusks. Sure. And he had Prime Speakers as well, so in game one I decked him. Okay. That's an achievement. Because... Well, it would have been, but he conceded. And in uh, in game two, he just didn't have an answer to the fact that I had a Biomancer, and he didn't. So all of the stuff that I was playing... Our creature bases were very similar... But all of my stuff was just bigger than his, and he couldn't deal with it. Even his Supreme Verdicts weren't doing much, because I had Garrick. Also, Disciple of Bolas, to eat a Thrag Tusk when you have a Master Biomancer out, is just fun as heck. Yep, I'll just trade this 5-3 in for a 5-5, five, five, five cards, and 5 life. Seems fine. That does sound very good. The deck was... Is, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is a Tier 1 deck... It's hilarious fun to play. You get to do ridiculously powerful things. And you can win 
in several ways. No, no, I assume the several ways are one is through damage and two is through laboratory maniac. Uh, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> you can also just make people concede. See, Alchemist Refuge was uh, really good for me all night. It let me do some disgusting and very fun things. Uh, it turns out that an instant speed Prime Speaker Zagana is actually better than Sphinx's Revelation. Probably. I had some fun last week with uh, Alchemist Refuge and Omniscience. That's gross. That's fantastic. You're a bad man and you should feel bad. Oh, it felt good. I, I'll be writing more about this deck in detail uh, for my article this week. And if you like fun decks that can do powerful things and are capable of winning games, uh, this is probably something you want to have a look at, even if Will believes that it's horrible. The, the sideboard, which I will also be talking about late, uh, in the article, uh, was pretty well tuned for what I expected locally. That's why there were things like uh, Sepulchral Primordial in the sideboard. Hey, but don't the, well, pile on on me. And say, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think Will thinks it's terrible. I don't think Will thinks it's terrible. It's just after experiencing the pile that my deck was against his, he's a, um, skeptical. No, it's what is your objective with this? Is it to enjoy FNM? Then not terrible. Good choice. Is it to win a GPT? Uh, not exactly terrible, since generally the competition at GPT isn't that strong. Win a PTQ, and then you're starting to get into awful territory. Yeah, I wouldn't take this to a PTQ. Uh, however, I will say that Simic Manipulator, uh, I wouldn't play it against Red or Red Green that play Pillar and Searing Spear. But against Blitz, I think it's actually a pretty good choice if you can get it out turn two, or even turn three, or even after a uh, Biomancer. Because if you untap with it, you can start stealing their dudes very easily. And uh, if you, you steal like a, a Boris Elite with it, you can steal a Mare with it. And it just, it goes to town, and if, especially if you steal a Mare and pass the turn, then the Mare flips, and the Wolves start evolving the Simic Manipulator. Hmm. I'm going to have to test it then. In the sideboard. Yeah, it's it's uh it's good against aggro. I had it main deck because there's a lot of aggro locally. I can definitely see it in the sideboard if you're not expecting a lot of aggro. All right, let's move along. One of the things that people often struggle with is when they go from F and M and store level drafts and having fun with their friends to an event that's a lot more serious. Uh, this is something that I see as a level two judge at GPs. I'm sure, Will, you, you've seen it a lot going to all of the, the GPs and PTQs that you go to. I have. And, uh, Adina, I know you've been to some PTQs and SCGs and GPs. And Travis, uh, I'm sure you know some people that do things. Yeah, he knows <laughs> often. <laughs> <laughs> so... I figure that since we are the podcast aimed at the F&M level player, uh, this would be a good place to talk about some tips and some ways to get yourself ready for your first event and make sure you don't fall afoul of some rules that you don't see at F&M. Well, since you've probably played in more events than any of us, what's the most important thing that you do to get yourself ready for a GP or a PTQ? Confidence. And I, I realize it sounds very broad, but the way to do it is that... You have to, like, you're not, no one's gonna know, you know, the standard, the format 100%, whether it's standard or whether it's modern. 
But one of the things that I do for every event that I go to is I have, like, my Grand Prix Nashville deck box that's, like, the two-sider uh, upper deck one, Ultra Pro one, which is quite perfect. And in it, there's 75 cards. And what's important about that is that, well, one, there's 75 cards, so it's just my deck list. There's no other extra cards from any formats or anything else. There's tokens. But in my bag, there are no other cards. So the way that I prep is essentially when I'm going to a tournament, I know ahead of time, I plan out what I'm expecting, what I want to play, and I plan out my main deck and my sideboard according to this. So that when I go to an event, uh, I just have my deck box, I have my deck list that's already typed up, and there's no second-guessing myself. There's no last-minute changes, there's no, like, oh my god, I don't know what's going on, it's... I'm good, I'm set, I know what I'm doing. And there's there's a lot of people that I know that, you know, they show up at events and they're like, I'm missing cards for this, or I need this, or what do you think about this? And it's just like, you know, if if you're kind of randomly sideboarding in cards or whatnot, your confidence isn't there and you're most likely to make a mistake because you haven't used a card before or you don't know what exactly is going on to the best of your abilities, right? Because you're not focused on your deck. And the other so, thing is that you're not focused on the fact that you have to start playing. You're also focused on scrambling around, going to the stores, trying to find the cards you want, trying to, you know, make sure you've got an extra sleeve, changing your deck list, you know, because if you don't have the card, then you have to submit the deck list without the card. And so it's just all of the stress at the beginning of the event that you don't need. You want to be relaxed, ready to go, ready to sit down and turn in your deck list you know, and, and, and not have to be scrambling and running around the venue and not be sitting in your place and relaxing and thinking about, you know, playing. See, I'm the I'm the opposite. I like to get there early and do the room. I like to walk around and see what people are playing, see the decks they're building. I like to go up to the dealers and ask them what cards are selling out and which cards seem to be the ones everybody's asking about and get a feel for what it feels like is going to be the, the format for that uh, or the meta for that format for the day. Um and I will usually try to have about, I'd say, 50 to 55 cards in my deck set. And those last four or five spots that are always kind of fluid, I may make changes based upon what I see people playing, what uh, I know people are looking for, that sort of thing. See, I strongly disagree with that approach, like, 100%. Because, you know, you're, you're essentially, when you play at a Magic tournament, especially a big event, you're playing matchup roulette. So you know what, if you go over and you're at a 100-person event and you see five people playing, you know, some deck that you're like, oh my god, like, I don't have any tech for that, there's two things that happens. One, you're changing your game plan to accommodate five decks in the room. So say 5%, which is very possible in reality, they're not good because the people playing them aren't good, uh, the way that they're set up isn't good, and they're not actually going to be part of what you encounter. And the other thing is that if you're, like, by setting up what your sideboard is and what your main deck is, right, it has a goal in place. And it's very possible that what happens is, you know, you see a deck like that, and you're like, oh, my God, like, I need to change the sideboard card for that, only to later realize that, well, actually, in fact, like, my main deck doesn't really need to be changed that much because I already have an extremely favorable matchup against that deck or against those cards, and I actually took out a sideboard card that is better in a matchup that my deck is worse against. Well, I think it depends on, one, how well you know your deck. If you know the in and out of your deck to where you know what 
what cards you're taking out, what cards you're putting in, what they're going to impact your deck's attack, your deck's uh, play style, and everything. Um, like if I were to walk the room and see that there was a lot of blitz, a lot of mono red, I may be more inclined to include an extra two or three drop in my main deck just so I have those early drops, either to stop the damage or something like Centaur Healer to make sure I'm recovering, instead of just plugging them straight into the sideboard because that's the way the deck has always been set up to play. I think you guys are arguing two different angles of the same point here. Well, well, well actually, your, your main point is to be confident with your deck choice, right? Yeah, but at the same time, like, I'm not talking, like, if you're, I mean, Blitz and Mono Red are two, you know, I mean, they fall into the same category of deck. So if your deck already has a problem with it, then those cards should be there. Like, I don't see why going around the room, like, the only time I would say that, yeah, I agree with Travis, is if you walk into a room, there's a hundred people in it, and 80 of them are playing Blitz. In which case, you're like, well... You know, based on matchup roulette, I'm going to be playing Blitz 80% of the time. Yeah, my deck should definitely be geared more towards that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a little bit different depending on if you're going to a PTQ or if you're at a GP. Because there's a huge difference between walking the room in a, you know, in a room full of maybe 150 people, 200 people, and walking the room when there's going to be 2,000 people, half of whom aren't even going to show up until round three. So you're just, you know, no matter what you see at a GP or at, you know, one of the bigger events, you're not seeing a good cross-section of the metagame. You're only seeing a small piece of it. You know, and, and like Will said, you're playing matchup roulette and the chances that you get matched up with those, you know, particular decks that you saw, well that, that's just a slice. That might not even be 80 per, 80% of the, you know, room might be playing some other deck that you're already prepared for. Well, one of the other things so, I mean, that you, go ahead. Sorry. Um, well what I was going to say is, you know, one of the, one of the great things to do before an event is to prepare, Will was talking about his gauntlet earlier, or was it Travis, one of you guys was talking about your gauntlet yeah. earlier. Um, basically, proxy up, if you, if you don't have the cards, if you have the cards, build decks. If you don't have the cards, proxy them up, and just create all of the decks that are rampant in the format that you're going to play in right now, and sit down with a couple of friends, and just play your deck against every single one of those decks. Several times you want you want to go over and over and over again so that you know okay this is what the matchup is this is how this deck wins this is what it's strong you know this is what I need to do to make my deck stronger against that particular strategy and then even if you get paired against somebody that is playing a different deck that you maybe haven't seen you'll know well this is an aggro strategy and my deck is more mid rangey so what I need to do is I just need to have something to take care of you know to to stabilize until I can get to the point where I have bigger creatures, so I just need to, to, you know, gain enough life or whatever, not die in the first four turns, and then I've got big enough creatures that they can't get through. So, so you know, in, in prepping for a tournament, you want to make sure that you've, you've tested your deck and you've played against some other decks so you know what to expect, and then you'll, you'll find that your performance is better at the event because when you sit down against somebody, you know, the first two lands, you're like, oh, okay, I'm playing Naya Blitz, so here's what I'm going to, here's the strategy I'm going to do. One of the other things, when I say, when I'm talking about doing the room, I'm definitely talking about a smaller venue. I mean, you're not going to do that at a 2,000 person GP. Um, but like local tournaments, one of the other thing you can do is if you know who the, the better players are, the people most likely to top eight, top 16, 
if you get a sense of what they're playing, then you know if you plan to win this tournament, those are the decks you're going to have to beat. The problem with that angle, though, is that you have to actually get to the point to play those players. And if you're going in with no buys, you're going to be play. You could you could very well be playing, you know, the random homebrew deck. So tuning your deck and taking valuable card slots out just to beat decks that you might not ever end up playing is a really dangerous strategy. Yes, but in the same token, you're, if you have your debt set in stone the night before and you run into the same kind of homebrew deck the first matchup, round one, you're still going to be at a disadvantage. That's, that's, that argument doesn't work. But, I mean, you've got to know your meta. And if you know, if you get the sense from the people that are there that, like if I walk in there and Adam Prozac's there and I know he's playing a control deck, I'm not going to change my deck based on that, but I'm definitely going to consider those last few spots making something that I against someone I know I have a very high chance of playing. See, I think I you're getting. Win. I think you're getting in your head so much that you're doing yourself a disservice. Like to give you an idea, right? If there's a tournament that's at 10 o'clock, so generally registration will close around 9:45, 9:15. I'm gonna maybe show up around. 9.30 at the earliest, I'm going to go, I'm going to walk over to the sign-up desk, I'm going to fill out whatever the sign-up form is, I'm going to give it in, I'm going to pay, and then I'm just going to maybe walk around the room, say hi to some of my friends, and then I'm just going to sit in a corner and I'm going to, you know, be in my own bubble. Because you need to know how to play your deck against each deck. Like, you know, knowing what your your metagame is, is is certainly helpful, but, you know, when you sit down, if you don't know how to play your deck, which style your deck should play against, you know, a specific deck, then you're not actually going to do it. You're not actually going to, you know, win or do yourself any favors because you're going to give yourself a harder time. So, like, that's why when I, you know, if the, say it's a, it's a Saturday PTQ on Friday around 8 to 10 o'clock, I'm going to have my deck list that's typed up, that's printed out, that's put in my bag. I'm going to have my deck box with my 75 cards that are put into my bag. And then nothing's going to change. I think that might be a personal thing more than a a, a definite way to play. Uh, I'm not saying no, that it's it, not it, a good it, idea. It's cer- yeah, there's, it's there's definitely, yeah. It certainly is. I just kind of get the feeling that, you know, if... If you're going into it from the perspective that, you know, you've, you've never played in a bigger tournament or, you know, you've played in one or two, but you're not really sure yourself, you know, if you can just kind of, you know, set your deck list up the night before, if you can set, you know, everything you're going to do, have everything written out right, it's a whole lot less stressful to kind of just walk in to sign up, you know, to go. And then from there, you can learn how what the best thing is to do, maybe what works for you, what doesn't, right? Like, I mean, I know I have my personal routine, and I've tried different ways, and, like, this is what works best for me. It's just to, you have 75 cards written up, and then go from there. And one of the other things we is, definitely that, like, for example, if this last PTQ season, the type of deck we both chose to play apparently contributes to our play style. Like, you were playing Jund, and then... It pays off to have that that deck built, known inside and out, um, an exact seventy five for every tournament. Where I was playing, whereas I was playing Birthing Pod, and it has an extremely fluid deck base once you get past the essentials. So my my deck choice from the beginning sort of fed to the style that I am in regards to that. Versus, whereas yours is a more 
totalitarian, I'm going to crush your ass with this exact 75 every time. See, I, I disagree with you on two points there. One, because I know someone, uh, Max Brown, who played your exact deck, who basically took a very similar strategy to me. But two, it's that, like, sure, Junt has, a, you know, say a set, at least Milas had a set, I think, say 46 to 48 cards. And every every week in between PTQ weekends, uh, you know, I'd be on uh, be on Skype or I'd be on Messenger with people like Doug Potter or Dan Lanthier to kind of go over, okay, well, like, these decks have kind of come up. Uh, you know, this is what we saw in the last PTQ. How do you think we should adapt? Which cards should we new, uh, use? Like, uh, basically deciding between Dismembers, Abrupt Decays, uh, Maelstrom Pulses, Go for the Throats, and specific removal sets for that. So it's really, like, I, I essentially game plan based on, like, the information that is presented to me from what I played the last time, as well as what's, you know, around me that's on the internet. So you're, we're basically doing the same thing. You're just doing it in the week leading up to the night before. And I'm doing it, I'm also doing it that weekend, week, but I'm also taking that last few, like you said, you'll show up 9.30 for a 10 a.m. PTQ. I'll show up at 8. I have to be there early. I can't stand to be late to anything. I, I'm obsessive about getting there way early. Okay, let's, let's transition to that as a prep point. I don't want to spend too much time talking about how we each build our decks. Like that's, that's definitely a very personal thing, and I can see both sides of that. So, Travis, you say that you have to get there early. Yeah. And I think this is something that's very important. You have to be comfortable. You have to be able to to get into the venue. Like Will says, you like to sit in a corner and get into a bubble. That works for some people. Travis, why do you feel like you have to be there early? It's a side effect of one of the first PTQs I ever left for. Car trouble kept us from being able to compete. We got ended up getting there an hour after it started because of car trouble. So if I'm traveling to a two-hour, three-hour PTQ, I leave four or five hours early because if something like that happens again, I don't want to miss the PTQ. And if I get there early, I can scout. I can. I mean, I would much rather get there early and go have breakfast than not get there on time. See, and for me, I'm traveling so much farther. I go up the day before. So if I'm doing a tournament that's on a Saturday, I'll go up on Friday afternoon, Friday evening. If I can, I'll get there in time to play F&M, hang out, get to meet the people, um, you know, at the store that's running it or, you know, just kind of be there and then have a room somewhere, you know, whether I'm staying in a hotel, whether I'm staying with some other friends from the Internet that I happen to know in the area, you know, whatever, whatever my arrangements are where I'm crashing, I'm going to, you know, get a good night's sleep and then get up and go to the venue in the morning, and I don't have to worry about, oh, well, what if traffic's bad? Oh, you know, I don't. I think it'll take an hour and a half to get there, but I want to leave two hours early, and then you wind up sacrificing your sleep, and, you know, you leave at 4 o'clock in the morning so that you can get there at 7 in the morning because if there's any kind of trouble, you won't get there till 8. You know, it's just it's too stressful for me, and I would rather just go up the night before, be there, be ready. And I know for not everybody, that's not always an option, just based on your work schedule and your life and everything. Um, but you know, whenever possible, be near the tournament so that you can make sure you get a good night's sleep, you eat breakfast. You know, I mean, there's there's so many non-magical things that go into performing well. You know, if you don't drink water, if you don't eat, you're going to get a headache. Your brain isn't going to function the way that it's supposed to. You're going to get tired. You know, you'll be halfway through the tournament and you'll just make silly play mistakes because your body is not functioning the way that a body normally functions. So, you know, it's it's always important to make sure that, that you're 
you know, you're taking care of your body as well as, you know, taking care of your deck. So I, gr- I greatly agree with Adina on this. Uh, I'll give you an example. There was, uh, it was three weekends ago that I went down to a PTQ in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, so what we, what I do whenever I'm traveling to, say, a distance, like, for something, say, uh, being in Montreal, you know, there's Burlington, there's Quebec City, and there's Ottawa, which are two hours away, which isn't, you know, that bad a drive for uh, most people. I, But personally, whenever it comes to something like that, I always make sure that the car that I'm with is able to go down the night before. And I know I realize not everyone, you know, has the money to stay in a hotel. Uh, but I, I know people, you know, from different cities, so we're able to crash there. And it's just, you know, if you go down the night before... There's not that travel stress in the morning as well. Even if you get in at, say, 10 o'clock, you know, you get in at 10 o'clock, you get a bite to eat, and then you just kind of, like, you know, go to sleep. And then when you wake up, rather than having, say, a two-hour drive in front of you, there's just, you know, 15, 30 minutes of the menu. Yeah. For me, it's not just that. I like to get to the room... I want to be comfortable in the venue. I know for – I've never played in a GP. I've judged several. Uh, but when I did play in a PTQ, it wasn't a place I'd ever played in before. So I wanted to make sure I was familiar with the room, that it felt comfortable for me, that I knew where the wash, washrooms were. I knew where I could get a drink of water. Washrooms were I knew. Yeah. I knew how to get out of the building if I needed fresh air or if I needed to get out in a hurry before I punched something. <laughs> uh, I knew – where the comfortable seats were, I knew where the tables that weren't numbered were if I needed to go and change my uh, sideboard plan or sleeve up an alternate deck or whatever, I didn't want anyone to see me. I, I have to have time to do all of that. I also have time to get into my zone, so I need to put my headphones on, sit down where nobody is around, and listen to the songs that I need that get me going. And I need time to do that, and I have to do that in the venue. I can't do that in a hotel room beforehand. Because that doesn't feel the same. No, I, I I agree. And you know, most people, to give you uh, say uh, an example, most people are like, oh, well, you need to get air if you're like upset or something. But no, uh, in Hartford, uh, after round eight, I was sitting at seven and one, so I had a winning in coming up, and it was just kind of, you know, I I was in a place for me that you know, rather than say chatting with other people I knew, or rather than just walking around the room, you know, I just walk outside and I walked around the building just because I was like, I need some fresh air. I just need to kind of just breathe out and, you know, relax a bit. And I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, knowing uh, knowing your surroundings is, is definitely helpful, especially when it comes to stuff like uh, water. If you're in hotels, most hotels have, say, water nearby, but also washrooms. So if you're playing a deck that goes long, if you know exactly where the washroom is and you're like, okay, like five minutes left in the round, I can go there, get back, not a problem, is, is a huge help. Agree. All right, so... Uh, Adina, what, what would you say that you've, you've mentioned uh, how you how you feel about some things, but is is that all that you would say is necessary? Or? Um, certainly not. I mean, there's there's a whole other aspect to it. You know, we've we've talked a lot about how to prepare yourself and be ready to compete. Um, but right now, I'm talking about a GP, something that you're going to with 2,000 people, not a PTQ. Um, so you have to be prepared for kind of that carnival atmosphere that you're going to be walking into. And it's very overwhelming. It's it's just very exciting. You walk into this room, and there's 2,000 Magic players all there to play Magic. So if you're going, you know, if, if it's maybe your first one, and you don't feel like your deck is maybe that competitive, 
Um, you want to be prepared for the other things that you're going to be doing during the day besides maybe playing in the main event. Because you may play in the main event, and after five rounds, you just decide, you know, my record's not very good, I'm getting tired, I want to go have lunch, and you drop out of the tournament. So at that point, you know, you want to go and get your lunch and come back, and there's going to be side events going on. There's going to be drafting and win a box and all sorts of other things, and there's all these places around the outside. You know, there's vendors, there's people buying cards, there's people selling cards, there's people just sitting around at tables doing trades, um, and people playing casual EDH games over on the side. So, you know, a lot of it is, you know, preparing and having your bag ready and being like, okay, if you have cards that you definitely just want to unload, then, okay, I'm going to take these to a vendor. I'm going to have this this box of cards, and I'm going to trade these in. I'm going to get credit, you know, and maybe have a list of cards that you're looking for because there is an opportunity to do some trading. Or, you know, if it's a two-day event, you know, even if you play all day in the first event, if you don't make day two, then on the second day, you can just go hang out, play some casual magic, play a couple of drafts, you know, maybe win some stuff, maybe win some packs, and then also, you know, take care of all your trading, take care of those sorts of things. Um, so, you know, you want to pack your bag with that in mind, and you want to have, you know, maybe a water bottle and some other stuff in your bag, and some aspirin or Tylenol or whatever you might need. Um, but at the same time, you know, have a box of cards that's specifically for trade. And if it's a standard tournament and you know there's going to be, like, a legacy open or a two-headed giant the next day or something, you know, have that deck in a separate deck box all ready to go. And then if you decide, hey, you know, my deck isn't doing as well as I wanted to. I've got this other deck. It's a great standard deck. I'm going to go play win a box and see if I can make some money, you know. So, so there's a lot of different options that are going to be going on, and there's going to be artists there. So if you have cards that you want to get signed, it's always a good idea to have them, you know, in, you know, sets of 10, because usually they won't do more than 10 cards at once because it's a long line and they want to get through it. Um, but definitely, you know, know which artists are going to be there, and if there's cards you want to get signed, have those cards all separated out, ready to go, so that you don't have to be hunting through your bag and say, oh, well, you know, I have 10 minutes in between rounds, and there's no line over there, maybe I'll go see this artist. You know, you can just yank it right out and be like, here's the cards I'd like to get signed. Whoa, 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 oh, right, okay. <laughs> yank the cards out of your bag and hand them to the artist. You scared me. Uh, Sorry, yeah, that's, didn't that's mean to scare one. you. Didn't mean to, you know, <laughs> cause any any trouble there. And to to go along with what Will was saying about having your deck ready, have your deck list typed if possible, but handwritten neatly if not. Uh, if you want to do as Travis does and add the last few cards on the day, then leave spaces for that. But make sure that your deck list is done that you have only 75 cards plus tokens and possibly extra sleeves in your deck box and that nothing else is in your deck box and that your deck list is triple checked and ready to hand in. Uh, the most uh, frequent infraction that people get is probably deck list errors and that is a game loss. It will cost you a game and it's t so avoidable that it, it drives me nuts to see people still falling victim to it. You can avoid this, people. You do not need to do this. So that that's a big one, and that's one that, that drives me insane, is to see the people falling for that all the time. 
What's, what's Maybe, another rules um, rules hang up that you kind of see as you know as a level two judge? Obviously, you've judged a lot of F and M. You've been to a lot of F and M. People that are used to playing at regular REL versus playing at competitive REL. What would you say are some of the most common differences that that people get tripped up on? Uh, I would say a lot of people don't um, realize that you know there's no takebacks. And you might think, well, geez, like, no, of course there's no takebacks. But this happens. People still expect to be able to take things back at this level. And it's quite scary, really. Um, you know, if you make a mistake, you have to expect to be, well, I, won't, I don't want to use the word punish for it, but that's what it is, either by uh, having a judge called and, you know, being given a warning or by your opponent just destroying you for making the wrong play. Like, and and along with that, along with that, you know, there are some people that don't understand that that's how that works, and so what they'll do is they'll sit down, you know, their opponent will be like, oh, wait, 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 can I tap my mana differently? They'll be like, oh, yeah, sure, and they'll let you, but then when you mess something up, you know, if, if you let them get away with something like that, that doesn't mean they're going to let you get away with it when you do it the next turn. You know, when all of a sudden Absolutely. you're like, oh, you know, I did this. Well, I'm sorry, that's too bad. We'll have to call a judge. And they say, hey, I just let you take it back. And they're like, well, too bad. You know, that, that's your fault for, yeah. you know. Thanks for you, that. That was really yeah. nice of you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, you have to keep in mind that, you know, people are playing to win. It's very competitive, and there are high stakes. There are big prizes on the line. Um, so people aren't just going to, you know, say, oh, well, yeah, go ahead and, and, and do it, you know, the right way. If you mess it up, too bad, keep going. Well, I'm sure you'll agree with this one. Um, okay, as someone who is, uh, let's say, scumbag people on this, yes, I will <laughs> completely agree. I No, no, you haven't heard me yet. Oh, okay. Well, to Adina's point of, like, the no-take-backsies or whatnot, like, I agree, trust me. There's people that, like, you know, if we can not get a judge involved and say, like, sure, you can make that play even though you switched it and that's not legal, I'm going to let you if it profits me. Otherwise, I'm calling a judge. Well, my, my, what I was going to say was, your opponent is not your friend. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely not. Your opponent is there to do the same thing you are, and that's win the game. Keep an Let's eye try. on them at all times. Be, be aware that there, there's a Miranda warning on them. Right, so I'm going to go ahead them as, as Maybe think of them as a predator, like a wolf or a lion. You know, it's not the wolf's fault. The wolf is a wild animal. It's going on instinct. It wants to live. Okay. You know, and can, if you're can, the food... Can, it's can, can, <laughs> can, can we stop this tangent, please? This is just getting ridiculous. To anyone, whoever has... If there's ever a second of doubt that creeps into your mind... Put up your hand and call a judge. Yes. And, you know, it, it's very, it's something that's heard everywhere, and everyone's like, well, I know that, right? But there's a lot of people who are like, well, no, don't you call a judge, you know, like, you know, uh, cool, say cool people wouldn't call judges, you know, like, we're, we're like friends, right? Like, this is how it goes. You don't need to call a judge, right? Like, those are the instances you can call a judge. And you know what? If your opponent thinks you're a jagoff, because you call the judge on him? Well, guess what? That's his problem. That's not your problem. You need to make sure that you're playing the game and your opponent is playing the game within the rules. There's no cheating going on. There's no one gaining an unfair advantage. And that's what judges are for. That's exactly what we're for. 
Yeah, and and you don't want to, you know, sometimes your opponent will say, oh, well, I know what, you know, I know the rules, and I know what the judge is going to do, and we don't want to get a warning, so let's just fix it ourselves the way that the judge would fix it. That is not good enough. You know, that that's, how do you know that your opponent hasn't done that exact same mistake two other times already, and you would get a game win off of it? You know, or, you know, or that they're trying, you know, if your opponent is saying this to you, they may be trying to get you to not call a judge because they know exactly what they're doing wrong and you caught them and, you know, they're actually trying to cheat and there should be an investigation. Um, so you never want to try and fix it yourself. Even if you know what the correct fix is, it's, you know, you're doing a disservice not just to yourself and your opponent, but to everybody else at the tournament. You know, if they're about to get disqualified, then every person that has to play them after you wouldn't have had to play them, they would have been playing somebody that wasn't cheating or, you know, wasn't doing, you know, slimy things that aren't quite cheating but are, you know, not good. Again, that's kind of an extreme example. But, like, you know, just just call a judge. Yeah, just call a judge. What Will said. And that's probably the last time you'll ever hear me outright agree with Will. Like, judges, <laughs> calling a judge is not scummy, ever. Calling a judge is always the right thing to do. We will never complain that you called a judge. Well, I, I, I think, think one of the things I think that people have a kind of a, a hang-up on, especially new players, is they're like, well, if I call a judge and we're both in the wrong, right, like, I get a warning and, like, I don't want a warning, right? Like, right. Unless you're purposely doing something wrong, your warnings will never accumulate up to a game loss, or you will never be in trouble. And at the same time, like, the magic rules are set up so that someone, you know, who may have missed something or is unsure, right, is supposed to call a judge at all times. And if you get one warning, it's not a big deal. But I think that the rule change really helped that because I know I was hesitant when I was a young player of calling a judge because of that. I called a judge once because um, I missed an Essence Warden trigger, and me and my opponent both got a warning for it. So with... The, the rule changed to where, you know, that's just a missed trigger now, and you don't get a warning for it. I think people will be more likely to call a judge for little things that could actually be big things. I hope so. Cause we, we don't want people to be afraid of calling a judge. That defeats the whole purpose of having judges, right? Like, we are there to help. And if you ever get a judge act like you've ruined their day by calling them, then please report them or appeal the ruling. Because judges are not supposed to act like that, ever. And I would be very disappointed in any, in hearing about any judge that did that. That would, uh, that would greatly upset me. And I know that might sound extreme, but it's, that's exactly what the, it is. Like, that would be a, a big disappointment to any judge to hear that that had happened. And, uh, I, that would, no, I can't, I can't understand why any judge would be like that. A hundred percent agree. All right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to, to point out at is, is um, don't feel like you don't belong there. And this goes back to what Will was saying about confidence. If you believe that you don't belong in the event, then you will lose the event, hands down, categorically. You have to have the confidence in yourself to be able to win. And... Uh, I think that's something that we can all agree on. I can, and yeah. uh, to yeah. kind of further put that point up, right, like, I, for the longest time, I always felt that, you know, well, like, top 16 is good enough. Like, I, I'm able to make top 16, and that's fine. 
And it was only more, like, to this modern season, slightly before the modern season, but really this modern season, that I was like, no, like, top 16 isn't good enough. Like, I'm good enough to make top 8, and, like, that's my goal. And, you know, while some people will be like, well, it's it's not, say, defining, you know, I never made top 8 before, you know, kind of that change in my philosophy. Like, top 16 was always good enough. If I threw away two games, you know, it's finished X2, then that was good enough for top 16, and, like, that was fine, but... You know, you, you really need to change your, you really need to have the mentality, right? That you're walking into a room and you can win every game that you sit down to play. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it, again, it's, it's like you said, it's belief, right? If you don't believe in yourself, why are you there? Yeah. Alright, what else do we want to talk about here? Um, what do you guys have on you when you go to the tournament center? I mean, what are the things you take with you? Alright, I have, well, I have my specific bag that I use, it's like a one-strap bag. I will have a, uh, my deck box, as we talked about, and in my deck box, and it's something that bothers the heck out of me, if you're, one, everyone should kind of have at least two dice on them, so then that way for the die roll that you can roll dice. But if your deck has counters, then please have dice. If your deck has tokens, please have tokens. They don't have to be the right tokens, but at least have something to mark it. Right, you know, writing on pieces of paper, or a little torn up piece of paper, or something else, it's it just doesn't fit. So make sure when you're playing your deck, you know, you have tokens, you have the dice, you have everything that was required to properly play your deck. Uh, after that, I always ha- I always bring a playmat along with me, just on the off chance, you know, that there's there's some tables you play on that are like made of wood that might have like a splinter on it or like the surface is just dirty. Uh, so that's always helpful. I have a typed up deck list. Uh, I actually have two copies of it. I have one to give in and one for me. So on the off chance that whenever I'm playing through a tournament, you know, I go to sideboard and I'm like, wait, like, I, I don't remember how many copies of one card I have on my sideboard. Because say I have a split or something. I can always look back on that deck list and I can be like, okay, well, like, this is what my main deck is and this is what my sideboard is so I can have it set up so I don't get a game loss ever from that, from being unsure. Uh, afterwards, I have uh, soda crackers and I have water. And, like, that's a personal thing, but at the same time, you know, when you're going to PTQs, which may be in smaller events, or you're going to GPs, which are in bigger events, there's not always restaurants that are very nearby, or at the same time, you might not have enough time between rounds to go to the restaurants. So at least if you're, you know, you have a bottle, you have something to drink, and for me it's soda crackers, something to snack on, it's, like, absolutely uh, the thing to do. Yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. You want to be able to... uh you, you want to be able to, to to eat and drink and keep yourself hydrated more than anything. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing that I have in my bag is I have four pens uh, and a life pad. So uh, the reason for the four pens is there's two black ones and there's two red ones. And it's the reason why I keep my uh, – I do my note-taking. And uh, my life pad is actually uh, whatever, like, papers just kind of, like, lying around from old deck lists or whatnot that one side isn't used. I cut it up into four pieces – and then just clip a, a paper clip onto it so that it's like a neat stack. And then that way what it allows me to do is it provides much more space for writing. And what I do when I'm playing is uh, the black pen I use for writing down cards that are in their deck and the red pen I use for lifekeeping. So uh, basically I'll have uh, the life total on one side and then whenever I see cards in my opponent's deck, I'm going to write them down in black. So in that way, and it, it, this goes for limited, it goes for constructed, it goes for anything. You know, just every single card that, you know, you write, you see, uh, I write down, because it just gives me that much of an edge, because I can go, okay, I know what the slight tweaks are in his deck. And I even write down lands. Um, 
case in point, I was playing against a Maleripod deck that had a breeding pool in it. And I wrote that down uh, in game one, and then when it came later, I played him, when I was playing him in game three, what went through my head was essentially like, okay, he can have this, but at the same time, like, he had a blue source. So chances are there's, like, a one-off Master Biomancer in his deck. So if he has that Biomancer, he can go off like that. So, like, I always make sure that I have more than ample place to write on my life pad. I don't use the life pads from stores or whatnot that only have small columns. And then I have four pens, just to make sure if ever one of the pens runs out, then I have another pen to use uh, to replace it. Cool. I can definitely see how uh, having the, the extra pens is good. I have with me at all times a pencil case full of dice and a box full of sleeved tokens. Uh, that's a personal thing. I don't think very many people are as ridiculous about it as I am. But I like to do that just because... Also, it's, uh, separate color sleeves from your main deck. Yes, of course. Yeah, All of my uh, tokens are in red sleeves, and I don't actually have any decks in red sleeves. Um, but they're in a different box anyway. They're not in my deck box. Oh, no, but there, there's some people that say may have the same sleeves for them, and then not paying attention, they'll just kind of scoop up their board and shuffle them in. Which is yeah. not a good idea. Yeah, you no, definitely I mean, don't want to shuffle your tokens into your deck and, you know, get a, you know... Game loss. Game loss off it's, of it's actually not a game loss. Tokens are not cards. So if you end up with tokens shuffled into your deck by mistake, it's actually fine. There's no penalty for that. It does cut down on the amount of time you have in the round, though, for the fiddling around to get it right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, yeah. The, the point being, it's it's not the end of the world. Yeah. So again, not case. to mention if you're if you're you know if you're pile shuffling and counting your your deck, then you have 61 cards, and you're like, oh crap! Well, I don't want to present. <laughs> then you have to go through the entire pile and find the token and get it out of there. So it just use different color sleeves. It solves so many problems. Can't argue with that. Well, I could, but it would be pointless. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis, you got any other tips you want to share? Uh, I always take gum. Just okay. Like, I mean, I'm not going to argue with that, but why gum? Sort of like a, a fidgeting thing. If I'm chewing, it, it keeps me stay focused. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, I like what Will say. Make sure you, you take um, ample things to take notes. You always take good notes. Um, I know in my last GP, I tended to being able to point back to my notes and, so, and say, this was where he took this damage, this is where he took this damage, this was his turn, this was his turn, this was his turn, kept me from getting a, a warning, and my, gave my opponent one because he was wrong. So being able to recreate the game state at a moment's notice is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah no, I would say at a, at a huge tournament, don't use dice to keep your life totals, and don't use your phone because if your battery dies, you know, then you're screwed. You lose your entire life total. You know, if there's a problem with the application or, you know, any kind of – it's just – it's electronic. It can fail. A piece of paper is right there. And when you go through your piece of paper, whenever you change life totals, you want to mark every change. So if there's something in play and you take damage from combat and then there's some effect afterwards like Boros Reckoner that changes your life total – you want to make sure that you're adjusting it for combat and then adjusting it again for the Reckoner, and you're just kind of keeping track of that. And you may even want to put little notes off to the side, you know, even if it's a little abbreviation, you know, combat, and then one says, you know, BR for Boros Reckoner or whatever, whatever your own personal system is. 
so that if there's ever a discrepancy in the life totals and a judge is called over, you can say, okay, well, in combat, my life total was this. I lost this much from these three creatures that were attacking me, and then I took this much damage from the Boros Reckoner, and then I paid a life for whatever, and, you know, you know exactly when and why your life changed so that you can recreate the game state for a judge. And I also want to say, only have out what you need for the game that's going on at that time. Um, if you don't need all of your dice, you don't really want your dice back on the table. You don't want your box of dice on the table. Um, you want it stored in your bag, and you want your bag wrapped around your leg, because people will steal anything that they think you're not paying attention to. I had my dice bag stolen at a tournament last year, and it sucked. The other thing is that space is at a premium at these events. So if you are taking up room with your playmat and a box of tokens and a bag of dice, it's uh, it's not great. You know, you're not going to have room for everything. Yeah. See, I have my little dice cube, you know, which, yes, that's 36 dice, which for my to- – even when I'm playing tokens and, you know, counters and things, I don't usually need 36. But the box contains everything, and it has that little lid with the little, you know – depressed area so i just open it dump five or six dice into that put the lid back on and that sits right above my life pad so i've got the life pad i've got a pen on top of it i've got my dice there and then i've got those other little token counter thing you know the little glass bead things that i can use and i'll put those on top of my deck if i want to remind myself oh yeah at end of turn don't untap everything don't draw my card because once i've done that i can't do anything at the end of your turn i can't back up um, so, you know, I have my little reminder there so I know, oh, yeah, I want to tap this and make a token before I untap for my turn. Um, so I use those as reminders. I'll use them, you know, if there's something like an Olivia Valderin and it turns something into a vampire, I'll put that on there so that I know that, okay, that's a vampire, you know, so that I'm not surprised later when, oh, all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, you know, or if something's detained, I'll use it for a detention sphere, you know, so that we know, okay, that creature's detained. I won't try to attack or block with it until next turn, um, you know, just little things like that. So I have I have my little, little token thing, the little glass beads, and I have my dice, you know, and I have that right over on the corner of my playmat, and then on the other side of my playmat, I have my deck, and in front of it, my graveyard, and then turn sideways in front of that, I have my exile zone. And then the, everything in the middle is just for playing. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and everything else is in my bag, like all my trade stuff, you know, and I used to have I used to have one of those over-the-shoulder bags, um, and I like to use computer-style bags that have several different zippers and several different compartments, you know, so you can have one compartment that has your deck and your dice and your play mat and, the, and your life pad and your pen just in that zipper. And then the other zipper has all your trade stuff and maybe another zipper with spare decks and things that, like that. That, I think, is, is a little too much into the nitty-gritty. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, for, for me, I used to have an over-the-shoulder over the bag, and it was just so heavy that every time that I was walking around everywhere, you know, I wound up just not taking my trade stuff because I couldn't carry it. Well, I traded that in. I, got, I, I now use a backpack instead, and it's just so much better because I can just hoist that onto my back doesn't matter if it's heavy, okay. I can carry it. So. See, I'm, I'm going to recommend not putting it on your back, because that's the easiest place to get stuff stolen from. Well, that's only when I'm walking around. If I'm playing, it is on the floor between my legs. So, yeah. And have one strap wrapped around your leg. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and if anybody, like, touches it or anything, I will know immediately. Because, I mean, people have had their bags taken right out from under the chairs. 
One thing we haven't mentioned, which I think we really need to, is when you when the tournament starts, pay attention to the judges' announcements. They you might think they're boring, you might think, oh, I know all this, I've been playing this game for years, but one of the things that the judges are going to say is what the tardiness rule is that's in effect. They're going to tell you how many players there are, how many rounds there are. If there are any recent rule changes, they're going to mention them. They're going to tell you who the judges are in the room. All of this is stuff that you need to know in order to play the tournament effectively, and you do not want to miss it because you think you know it. Trust me on this one. I have had people caught out by the, oh, I don't need to listen to the judge announcements thing, and yeah, you kind of lead to listen to the judge announcements. Yep. Well, what uh, what do you think about like stuff during the round, like when you're actually playing, some stuff that people need to keep in mind when they're actually in the middle of a game? I think the easiest one is just not to play too fast. You know, there, there's people that, you know, they'll look at the time clock or they'll look at, you know, other things that are going around the room, but the only thing that's important in the round is what you're doing, you know, what you're playing. And, you know, you're allowed to you know, take a second to just kind of, you know, assess the board state here and there, just make sure you know what's going on, right? You know, don't be, like, looking at your friends or, like, looking everywhere else in the room. Just focus on what you're doing, what you're playing, and, you know, be be aware of what's going on because the only thing that's important is really uh, the table space between you and your opponent as well as you and your opponent, not you know what's next door to. I know there's a lot of people that uh, you know they'll, they'll look over game to game, see oh this, this deck's going being played here, this deck's going play, being played here, but you know those are inconsequential to what you're playing. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of you know an Unless, like, people who get slow play warnings are really, 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 really playing slow. You know, so just kind of taking really a second. Really slow. Just taking a second. I mean, they're playing like, slow okay, almost on purpose. On. Yeah. It, just to take a second and go, okay, this is what's going on, right? You're not going to get a warning. You're not going to, you know, get uh, get called out or anything like that. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you sit down at a table, there's always going to be somebody that plays really fast. And I've had this happen, and it's it's one of those contagious things where you sit down against somebody, and they shuffle really fast, and they deal out the cards, flip, and they're all on the table, and they pick up the cards, and they when they play, they play their land, they play their spell, they tap their land, they're just going fast, fast, fast. And it makes you feel like you want to keep up. You want to play just as fast as they do, you know, and it's not... It's not a race, you know, it's not one of those, well, if I finish my turn as fast as they finish their turn, then, you know, I can get the damage in before they can kill me. No. (laughs) Even though it may be a tempo race, you have as much time as you need to put your land down and to tap the right color of land and to to play your spells, you know, and make sure that you're leaving open the colors that you need and, and, you know, everything that you need to do during your turn. Also, this is going to sound really dumb because, well, at least, there's a lot of people that think this sounds really dumb, but the way that I proceed with my turn is I essentially, I, like, I'll just, you know, be like, my turn, my opponent says yes, everything gets untapped. Go upkeep, then I go draw. Like, when, literally when I draw my card, I say draw, and it seems really dumb. It seems like, you know, something that some beginners do, but you know what? For me, it's just kind of, you know, untap, draw. It's the phases of magic, and it's just kind of, you know, it slows the game state down to a point that I like it, and, you know, it, it also allows my opponent, you know, at the same time as my opponents will have 
uh, you know, they'll want to, they'll have an interaction. So say they'll have like Vendillion click or something like that. It gives my opponents that time just so that, you know, it's not like, oh, well, like they call a judge, wait, he didn't give me, you know, he didn't pass priority to let me do this. This is a problem. Then, uh, so it just kind of avoids confusion. It's just, you know, untap, draw, take your time, go about your things. Yeah, you definitely don't want to give away to your opponent any information by hurrying the game along and not giving them a chance to interact and play their counter spell or play, you know, whatever it is. If you just go, you know, if you tap four mana and play two spells, well, now they know which one they want to counter and they're going to, you know, say, whoa, 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 back up, play the first spell. Okay, I'm going to counter that one. You know, and and then you haven't given them any information. So you just want to do things, you know, one at a time and make sure that it resolves. And and that way, if your opponent wants to back up, well, now it is too late. Because I said, you know, upkeep, draw, and they said, okay. So that meant that they didn't have anything to do in upkeep. And now we can't back up and do it. It's You know, they wanted to play silence in the upkeep. Well, I said draw for turn. They said, okay. And I picked up my card. Too late now. Yeah, that seems fair enough. The other thing is, and we, we did touch on already, not uh, not being afraid to call a judge, but make sure that you are watching your opponent. Uh, your opponent is not necessarily going to be cheating. In fact, I would hope they're not. But that doesn't mean that they won't make mistakes. And if you're not watching carefully to see what your opponent is doing you can miss something that you know probably should have got caught and you know that's that's a really good way to cost yourself a game by missing a, a probably an inadvertent mistake on your opponent's part you can't be so wrapped up in making sure that you are winning the game that you miss what your opponent is doing if that makes any sense to anybody but me yeah, i completely agree just at the same at the same time, like you know, and I there's some people I know who kind of have the sentency right. Assume that your opponent is not cheating. Like don't don't try and look for cheating when it's not there. Because I've seen people call judges on phantom cheating or other things like that, and it's just kind of like you know, assume that everyone's honest while still keeping a wary eye. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I, I would agree with uh, agree with that completely. Like that's it, m- nobody is there. Well, okay, I can't say nobody, but most people aren't there to to cheat somebody. They're there to play magic. You know, and they they don't want to to cheat anyone out of a day of playing magic any more than anybody else does. I'm really putting this poorly, but I know what I mean. <laughs> no, I get it. All right, what else, uh, what else do we need to say here, guys? Anything else that needs to be mentioned? I think I've kind of put up all my points. Confidence, just, uh, you know, kind of have uh, more or less a fixed schedule, what makes it comfortable. If it's showing up extremely early to the tournament, whether it's showing up, you know, slightly later, make sure you have everything that you need on you so that you're not kind of scrambling around for everything. And even if, you know, uh, you prefer, say, Travis's method of kind of metagaming a bit and, like, choosing cards, right? Make sure you have those card options. Because so, I assume Travis, when he goes, right, right, he'll be like, okay, like, my sideboard can be any of 30 cards. He has all 30 of those cards. 
Yeah. It's not like, oh, I have like 22 of those cards. Let's run around because I need one of the other ones. Occasionally, I may need like one card, but it's something that before I even check the room, I go get that card. You have everything you need as soon as you possibly can. One thing that we didn't mention, uh, get plenty of sleep. Yes. Sleep. We did mention that. Hydrate. Yeah, like these are all things that are essential. You can't win a tournament if you're falling asleep. You know, it's just not going to happen. Unless your name's Finkel. If you get questioned by a judge, answer the questions honestly and completely. Don't hold anything back. Even if you're sure you've made a mistake, it is far better to be honest and get a warning or even a game loss than to lie because judges are trained to see that. They will catch you. You will be disqualified. Ain't nobody got time for that. So just just be honest. Be honest with the judge. The judge is not there to try and catch you out, but they will catch you out if you lie to them. The, there's one piece I really want to save for last. Specifically, this one applies to PTQs, though. This isn't the one I want to save for last. There is only one prize at a PTQ. The boxes don't matter. The booster packs don't matter. You are there to win an invite to the Pro Tour. That's it. That is the only reason anybody goes to a PTQ. I mean, yes, you want to have fun. Yes, of course. But do not get blinded by, oh, I'm in it for the packs. You're there to win the PTQ. I know, Will, that's something that uh, your friends have said a lot to me. I, I agreed, right? Like, I mean, if you want to win packs, go to go to FNM or go to, you know... Uh, go to, go to a winnow box. Uh, you know, I, I think back to Hartford, right? And in Hartford, I made top four and I got a box. And, you know, you just kind of get that feeling that, like, when they give you the box, you're like, yeah, it's a consolation prize, but this is really not what I want. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're not going to turn it down. No, <laughs> you're, you're obviously not, right? But there, there's certainly, and, like, there's a time, right, where, you know, I was playing in PTQ's events like this where I was like, yeah, you know, like, I want a booster box. Like, you know, this is awesome. But, you know, you kind of shift mentality that, like, don't get me wrong, right? I'm not, you know, someone who's completely ungrateful. You know, I, I got a box that's cool, uh, considering there's a whole lot of other people in the room that didn't. But it's kind of like, it, this isn't what I was playing for. You know, I, I'm not playing... For to win a box, and if you have that mentality that you know, you're not playing, you're not good enough to win first, and you're not playing to win first, uh, to come in first and get that plane ticket, then you're gonna make more mistakes. You're definitely there's gonna be say a lack of focus to a certain extent because you're like, okay, well, like I don't need to play perfect magic because my intention is not to come in first, which is a very you know, it's it's not a notion that comes up at PTQs. A whole lot because people are like, oh, well, it's good enough at one packs, but you know, in reality, you're there to come in first, like every other Magic tournament you uh, you play in. So don't get blinded by the consolation prizes. Yep. yep. All right. Before I get to my last piece, uh, does anyone else have anything that they want to say? Be considerate and show up clean. <laughs> Deodorant is your friend. And we know that you hear lots of crap about magic players being stinky neckbeards, but 
I mean, there are a great many tournaments that I go to that on occasion someone does not have the best personal hygiene. So if at all possible, please be clean. Yeah, I actually, like, I'm going to... Destinkify yourself. I'm going to agree with the point while agreeing with, uh, disagreeing with another point, right? Okay, this deodorant is your friend thing. Sure, it is, and that's quite all right, right? But what's more... <laughs> Don't bet you the next. Cologne more, is not your friend. <laughs> what's, what's more your friend is water and soap. Like, if you're yeah. going to show up at a PTQ and, you know, you're telling me you have the option between water and soap and deodorant, always take water and soap. Well, the um, idea is that you're supposed to be clean first, and then you put on the deodorant so that during the course of a long day of thinking and playing and exerting your brain, you know, if you do get, if you do start to sweat, you know, you've got you've got the deodorant or the antiperspirant to help you out. But yes, you start with a shower or a bath so that you're clean. I couldn't agree more. Like, come on, guys, we don't need this reputation any more than we have it. You know, we really don't. So let's try and at least think sensible here and be clean, please. I don't want to... I I hate the fact that Magic players have this reputation of being, as you say, stinky neckbeards. It's it's a pain in the ass, and I really hate it. So at the very least, let's put deodorant on. Sometimes we get it. You can't shower. Or you don't have time to shower. It takes 10 seconds to spritz some deodorant under your arm. If that. So, if that's all you've got time for... Actually, actually, to kind of go with your point, right? I, if you're playing in this event, you should kind of, you know, plan time uh, to such an extent that you actually should plan shower time into your, say, prep time and leaving. Yeah, that's true, too. You know, instead of setting the alarm, if you're like, oh, well, I set the alarm for 9 o'clock, and, or I leave at 9 o'clock, and I don't have time to shower, well, then wake up at 8.50. Like, <laughs> come on. The very last thing I want to say for people getting ready for your event, have fun. It's that simple. Have fun. Don't go there and tilt yourself because you didn't win. Don't you know, make one mistake or get managed screwed in one game and let that ruin your entire day. At the end of the day, magic is still a game and you have to make sure that you're enjoying yourself. Because as soon as you stop enjoying yourself, magic stops being fun. And what's the point of playing it? So Chris Lansdell sad. No, I'm not going to be sad. <laughs> oh. Make sure that you have fun. Like, Don't ever let this game get to the point where it's not fun anymore. Even the people who play this game for money still have fun playing it. So yeah, that, that's my last point. Make sure that you have fun. Alright, on that note, let's move on to a random moment of geekery. Adina, go! So we're recording this on Sunday night, and tomorrow, Monday, is the premiere of a new TV show called Defiance, and they're also releasing an MMO game in conjunction with it. So it is not only a TV show, but also a first-person shooter-style video game. 
Um, and the premise behind it is we're about 50 years in the future, and aliens have come and taken over and basically destroyed the entire Earth and taken over, and there's only a few settlements of humans left. Um, and what used to be St. Louis is now called Defiance, and it's a community of people, and uh, that's really all I know about it. I've just seen a lot of previews for it, and there's a lot of hype around it, and it just it looks really exciting. Um, so I'll have to let you know next week how exciting it really was after I've seen it and if I'm as excited as I was ahead of time. Um, along that note, there's another TV show that I'm going to tell you about that I have actually seen. It's called Orphan Black. Um, anything that involves cloning and, you know, mystery I'm always down for that. So uh, it's basically about this girl who meets another girl who looks exactly like her, and in the course of um, trying to figure out what's going on, she meets several other girls that also look exactly like her from all over the world and realizes, you know, that, that they're all clones and, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And it's on BBC America. It's a really exciting show. It's called Orphan Black. Orphan Black? Mm-hmm. That's racist. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sure. <laughs> I'm just I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, I I haven't quite figured out the meaning behind why it's titled what it's titled. I mean, obviously, Defiance is about a town called Defiance, and they're in defiance of the aliens that have taken over. But you know, Orphan Black doesn't really have quite so much to do with the name of it. At least not yet. Maybe we'll find out later. Yeah. Or maybe it won't be so racist. Cool. Uh, well, moment of geekery, sir. So, I, I was watching on NBC the other day. Uh, there's a new series called Hannibal. And I'm very confused because it is absolutely fantastic. Like, if you haven't seen this, you need to no see No spoiler scripts. It it's on my DVR. It is. Oh, my God. So good. Now, what confuses me is the fact that it's on NBC, which is, <laughs> like, boggles my mind. Okay. Which means it, it be canceled within the next three weeks. Well, see, here's, here's the thing. Like, I, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, right? But if, you know, for some reason, NBC, in their infinite wisdom, does decide to cancel it, right? Like, anyone who's working at, you know, AMC or FX or Showtime or HBO should pick this show up right away because it is... Like, you don't have to really cha change much to make it, like, it's pretty much already, like, to that quality of uh, of a cable network show. It is, it's just fantastic as a show. It's a completely, you know, Hannibal is a story that kind of everyone more or less has an idea of, whether it's from Red Dragon, Hannibal, or Silence of the Lambs. And this is, you know, uh, the person, Hannibal, like, the doctor, Hannibal Lecter, is played by uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who most of you will know as uh, Le Chiffre from Casino Royale, and he he just takes such a different uh, perspective to the character than has ever been seen before. It Like, overall, there's really no complaint. It, it's just an extremely well-done TV series, and if you haven't seen it, I strongly, greatly urge you, recommend you to uh, go and watch it. Okay. So I love the first Hannibal. episode. That's why I've got the second one on my DVR. You, you've watched the first episode? Yeah, it was great. Okay, well, see, and that's it. And, like, even the second episode, and uh, there's, a, there's a reviewer that I quite respect who writes online that uh, they kind of got the first five episodes, and he was writing how it pretty much it follows that same pattern. It follows that same kind of, like, intensity, and it's just 
I I was it's honestly one of the first uh shows in a long time that I watched and I was amazed by just because it is that good. Interesting. I mean, I haven't seen Silence of the Lambs or Red Dragon or any of that. So. Well, see, that actually has no bearing on uh, on the actual uh You may be able to show. get in the show better because of that, Chris. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I just wasn't like that. That sort of story isn't really my style as far as like what Silence of the Lambs is. So I haven't watched it. But after hearing what you've said about it, I may go back and, and check it out now because you know it. It, it was just something that I, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound interesting to me because I'm, you know, I didn't didn't really get into Silence of the Lambs. No, and I completely understand. But it it's like it's just a show that I watched and it, it amazed me as to you know the quality and the way it was done, which is. You know, something that hasn't happened in a decent amount of time. So, Good to know. Okay. Greatly recommend. All right. We shall have to give that a look. Travis, your moment of geekery. My moment of geekery is a website that recaps every episode. Did you say, of... Did you say what? I heard my moan of geekery. I, I don't know. I think my you said moment. moment of geekery. Is a a website that recaps every episode of Game of Thrones entirely through Facebook updates. Yeah, I've seen this and it's brilliant. It's fantastic. Yeah, it, it it really is brilliant. I I have seen it and I I have to second this. This is hilarious. I mean, they put a lot of time and energy into it, and they actually do tell an entire episode story just through Facebook updates. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. And uh, also, uh, I'm rereading The Lies of Locke Lamora, and if you haven't read it, go buy it, read it. It's fantastic. One of the best books I've ever read. Actually, speaking of Game of Thrones, I don't know. I don't remember if I had actually if I had linked this before. It's not exactly PG, but maybe you guys can uh, can check it out and let me know. And if not, we can put it up in the show notes as a bonus. Moments of Geekery. Sorry to interrupt, Travis. I haven't seen uh, it. I'll watch okay, it later. I'll look it up later. Yeah, me too. That looks like something I will want to laugh at. Oh, it is. <laughs> is it as good as the Right Like the Wind, George R. R. Martin? Uh, I have not. I'm not quite sure what you're referencing to. It's... Oh. Well, then I want to send you that. Oh, that's something all its own. Okay, so my moment of geekery. Remember Snake? Uh, like Snake from Metal Gear Solid? No, although. Bonus points for that reference. Yeah, you really need to put that, that snake is dying noise in there now. The cascade. Uh, I could just put the Metal Gear Solid theme at the end because that might be one of my favorite pieces of video game music that isn't from Soul Blade. But the, uh, the, the, the game that used to come on old Nokia phones. I'm sure you've all played it. Oh, we have. So I played it before it was on Nokia phones. I played it way back when it was on the, um, like, Apple II SE. Woman, you owe! <laughs> I know. I'm aware of that. Thank you. <laughs> it turns out that that game wasn't solely invented to drive teenage people insane. It apparently can be completed. And there's video proof of this. So we've actually shown... Uh, that there's going to be a link in the show notes to this video. It's... um. Yeah, this guy has played way too much Snake. Let's just say that. And that's not a euphemism. He's actually played way too much Snake. 
he's pretty, uh, he's pretty good. He he is actually very very good at Snake and needs to be seen to be believed type of good to, at Snake. Yeah. Uh, Travis has had to disappear. He has apparently uh, evil twin daughters set fire to the neighbor's house. I mean, if the cops are listening to this, uh, you didn't hear what I just said. Hear what? I don't know what you're talking about. Good. So let's uh, let's move on to shout-outs. Adina? Shout-out to Martinet for the Image of the Town uh, for um, hosting our website. And shout-out to... Sh- oh, my goodness. What is wrong with me? I'm trying you to can't English this, good. You know, I'm, I'm reading this Facebook thing that Travis's moment of geekery, and I'm just so distracted I can't even begin to do my shout-outs right. Okay. I, get feel, I get the feeling Adina forgot how to speak, or English. Yeah, I English forgot. Okay, shout-out to Martinet for hosting our website. Shout-out to Card Kitty for the image that is on our website. Uh, Shout-out to Carson and Cooper for coming on over and uh, playing EDH last night. And uh, shout-out to all of our Twitter followers and um, everyone who has been following us on our new stream, which is super awesome, and you should definitely check it out on Twitch, Port of Notions, and I'm sure the guys will tell you a little bit more about that. She did it. She got through it. (laughs) I did. I made it. I survived. That's Adina's one shining moment. <laughs> uh, well, shout out, sir. Uh, a shout out to everyone. Just in general, you know. Uh, but also a shout out to, uh, Josh Lemish. Because he lent me, like, a ton of cards. <laughs> so I greatly appreciate it. Uh, a shout out to, I had a good one, but I probably forgot it. Uh, I shout out to Face Face Games, who we've been, uh, you know, who's been a great sponsor for us, who has been, we've been working behind the scenes with for uh, a couple things. And uh, they're uh, with Dragon Maze, Spoilers Upon Us. Uh, you can pre-order every single single you want. Uh, you can pre-order a sealed product as well, only within Canada for uh, that. However, any any card singles you want, any anything else you might need from whether it's from Dragon's Maze, whether it's from any other set, go and check out facefacegames.com. It's a great service, and they're a great company. And a shout-out to... um, (laughs) I don't know. I think think that's probably it. I already shouted out everyone, so, I mean, that, that pretty much covered everyone. So what you're trying to say is everything you want, we got it. Yes. But if by we you mean facefacegames.com and not we, Chris Lansdale. Uh, I'm not a we. I mean, I know I'm fat, but I'm not two people, dude. Well, I didn't call you that, but okay. Someone feels self-conscious. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Gosh darn it. Cool. Uh, so, my shout-outs. Um, I always forget somebody. And they always get mad at well, me for Well, just so shout out everyone like I did. That That's pretty much all-encompassing, and that way you can't forget anyone. Yeah, no. All right, be that way. Let's give a shout-out to Extra Balls, who was streaming tonight and uh, did a really good job of it. He's been getting you know, solid numbers. He was playing in a modern premiere event this time with Merfolk, and uh, last I checked, he was doing pretty well. I want to give a shout-out to... 
everybody I've been talking to about spoilers, people have actually been coming to me and asking me what I think about cards, which I, I can't, I can't understand. I, I'm not good at this game, people. Stop acting like I am. Um, but no, that's super flattering, and I, I really appreciate the uh, the confidence you're showing in me, malplaced though it may be. Uh, who else do I want to give a shout out to? Adina. Sure, why not? Let's give a shout out to Adina because she's Aww, Adina. Thanks. Uh, shout out to Zach Hill. He's going to be coming on the show, hopefully here coming up in the in the near future, uh, to talk about Dragon's Maze, and uh, we're really excited to have him on. He's uh, He's a, a, a somewhat polarizing figure in the magic community, but I think uh, I think he's going to be really good on the show. And I don't think I have any others. Wait, to be perfect. I don't think we can have him on then if he's a polarizing figure. I'm the only one who's allowed to have anything polar associated with me on the cast. I see what you did there because of your bear. Yeah, well played. I tried. So, on that note. Let's wrap this baby up. Oh, wait. Travis, you're back. Yes. My neighbor's dryer caught on fire, and the fire department was right outside my door, so I had to go check on it. Sure. Caught on fire, as in your evil devil spawn twins set something on fire? No, but I would not discount squirrels. (laughs) I thought you loved squirrels. Sure, but you can send them up through a dryer chute and clog up the exhaust and... Well, let's just not incriminate myself too much. You are such a country guy. Like, that is such a country guy thing to say. You can send them right on up there, shoot, and they'll catch on fire just like that. <laughs> hey, I am, I am. That's what Popeye says. It's a squirrel fire. I got bronchitis. Hey, there are places in the world that find the hillbilly accent erotic. Ain't nobody got time for that. What? Yes, I like to call those places hell. <laughs> Erotic. Oh, what are you on, you strange child? Ah, okay. Um, now that my dinner has been suitably spoiled. Huh. On that note, do you have any shout-outs, you disgusting human being? <laughs> That's you, Travis. I think he left again, just to troll you. Lol. He did it well. What? <laughs> what the hell is even happening right now? I don't know. Why do we invite Travis on again? I don't know. Who is Travis? Okay. He is the heart and soul of this podcast. I think you need you to have a heart and soul that. to be... First year, I'll probably just one or the other. Do you have any shout-outs? Uh, let's just say I'll shout-out everyone. I'll copy Will. You should probably also shout-out the fire department who made sure yes, your husband would, burned down. Well, my neighbor is a volunteer. He's a policeman and a volunteer fireman, so, I mean, I guess he has connections because they got here pretty quick. That kind of makes sense in a scary, making sense kind of way. Then in that case, did you go over and uh, did he let you uh, turn on the siren? No, I just stood on my porch and giggled. Well, that's obviously... I mean... Oh, my God, it's the Southerner again. (laughs) What the hell, dude? Can you please stop being a walking stereotype, like, seriously? I guess as I get more and more tired, I just get... The accent comes out thicker. My wife says that there are times that it it comes out really thick. 
It's not even the accent. It's the stuff you're saying. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, uh, if that was taken out of context, that last sentence was just frightening. What's well, wrong with standing on your front porch and giggling? <laughs> no, I was talking about it coming out thick. Do you have a Pabst Blue Ribbon in hand? <laughs> no, we usually drink Blue Moon. Oh, God. Travis, do you or do you not own a shotgun? Uh, probably like five. Oh, God. My, How many cars? I've inherited about 30 guns from her grandfather. So we have an ungodly amount of firearms in our house. So you think about that before you ever come crawling. <laughs> how how many zombie apocalypse are on your front lawn up on bricks? <laughs> None. <laughs> now, if you want to go back to where I'm from, eh, quite a bit. How many, how many rocking chairs? We only have one rocking chair on the front porch for the girls. <laughs> it's about three foot tall and has uh, it's. Solid white with a big red A on it for Alabama. <laughs> I just have this picture of you sitting there with a shotgun across your lap <laughs> and a stalk of grass hanging out the side of your mouth. <laughs> just going, yep. Wait, wait, wait. Do you have a banjo, too? <laughs> do not have a banjo. I have a guitar. <laughs> but I do have oh, a cousin who plays in a bluegrass band. I think I'm going to lose it. Yep, there we go. Lost it. Bluegrass bands, actually. Hey, I have no problem admitting I'm from the deepest, darkest part of the hills of uh, Kentucky. When they say hillbilly, they're talking about my family. Okay, that's it. The show's over. I don't even know if we can ever have another one after this. Uh, There's no way we could ever beat this. Hey, Chris, what are a hillbilly's last words? (laughs) This is going to be terrible, isn't it? Hey, y'all, watch this. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Yes. Okay. All right. That's a, we need to end this show. Uh, on that note, let's wrap this baby up. So, for Adina, for Will, and for Travis, this is Chris saying, join us again next time for another exciting episode of Horn of Notion. Hell Rider!